We do have Scott McFarland on the line. He is a multi-multi-award-winning Emmy and Murrow Award-winning journalist from CBS News, to decades of experience covering the U.S. Congress. He was on Capitol Hill yesterday as the pronouncements from the January 6th committee. It must were. have been an exciting day for him. It was. Was that exciting? It was. <laughs> it's history. I mean, no matter one's thoughts on January 6th of the investigation, when a congressional panel recommends criminal charges against a former president, you know you're looking at history book material. Well, you sure are. Absolutely. Well, my first question is, was there something uncovered in January 6th that the Department of Justice won't or didn't or doesn't have access to? We know that this is just a recommendation. We know the Department of Justice is doing full-blown grand jury investigations. Is this going to be a big report that they're going to say, wow, this is very helpful. We needed this. We didn't have this. No, that's a great question. First of all, it's definitely going to be a big report. We know this because the summary they released yesterday was 160 pages. So if that's the summary, the report's going to be a monster. Um, A few things. This committee has certainly simplified or given Cliff's notes or a cheat sheet to the Department of Justice by doing such a laborious 18-month investigation. This committee did 1,000 interviews, collected more than a million records. They have now teed this up for the Department of Justice, kind of done the work for them in some regards. Makes life a lot easier, but it also increases the political pressure on the Department of Justice to move on this. After all these nationally televised hearings, millions of people, all this damning evidence, if the Department of Justice doesn't move, they may have more to answer for. Well, Scott, the Republicans, of course, are calling this a highly uh, partisan group. You know, do you think the fact that there wasn't more and more aggressive Republican representation on this committee will damage its credibility going forward? Sure. I've heard both sides of this argument in the last 24 hours. First of all, I heard from a former federal prosecutor, a nonpartisan type, who said, if they had had some dissenting voices on this committee, you know, a few real, perhaps ardent supporters of the former president, they may have battle-tested some of this evidence, made it more, you know, solid for prosecutors to move on if it had been, you know, subject to more vigorous scrutiny and debate publicly. So there's an argument to be made the Department of Justice might be better served by a referral from a committee that was composed of dueling sides. The other side is because Republicans boycotted it, and they did boycott, they gave this committee the latitude to synchronize and choreograph everything they did to put on a show that may have influenced Americans. So they've left Donald Trump vulnerable to a committee that put on what was compelling testimony and visuals. They also uh, had some ethics uh, violation pronouncements about Congressman Scott Perry here from Pennsylvania, his district just a few miles from here, and uh, and some other congressmen and women as well. What happens to those? The Department of Justice, do they get those as well? Just say, point of personal privilege, uh, Scott Perry's district is one of the great pieces of America. My, my extended family is there. I spent Thanksgivings and Christmas in Harrisburg. It's just lovely. So let me just start off with that. Um, not germane to the question. Um, now, the ethics referrals are something different than a problem. Referrals of Scott Perry and three of his colleagues, including two of whom are jockeying to be the next Speaker of the House, is an internal review by not answering subpoenas. Um, the Ethics Committee is the only committee in Congress divided from both parties. Equal number of Democrats and Republicans, so you need bipartisan agreement for them to do anything. Doubtful they get bipartisan agreement to move on Scott Perry or his colleagues. So that may just languish and 
nothing may come of it. But there's also the potential, and this is worth mentioning, of some three-dimensional chess that this committee has worked. If the Ethics Committee does not move against Scott Perry and his colleagues, Republicans take over the House in January and they start subpoenaing Democrats, Democrats can say, we don't have to answer either. <laughs> it's, not, it's not unethical. It's not illegal. We're not answering your subpoenas either. Well, what do you think, the, uh, the from the standpoint of what you've seen in Washington and what you hear, is there a consensus for or against Merrick Garland actually prosecuting the president? Public pressure may be more important than the theories inside the Beltway and here in Washington. This committee had a huge audience, a huge audience that television networks gave them the luxury of attaining by giving them nationally televised hearings. Tens of millions of people watched these hearings. And again, these were choreographed, synchronized hearings that told a compelling story because the members spoke with one voice, which Congress almost never does. So the pressure may be coming from citizens, the Commonwealth, and then throughout America that we just saw a damning picture put in front of our television sets. If there's no prosecution, the Department of Justice may have to answer for that to America, not to Washington. There seems to be some kind of an elephant in the room regarding security failures and how much intelligence was known yep. and, and what Nancy Pelosi did. What happened to all that? Yeah, that's, now that's important for two reasons. First of all, we read through the executive summary of this final report that's coming tomorrow. There was very little bandwidth given to the security failures, which were acute and to a degree deadly and need to be addressed. This committee did not get into the weeds on that, and that was part of the mission people anticipated they were going to have. Um, so they'll have an answer for that. Um, one of the political talking points that I try to disabuse people of, no matter their political background, is the security failures that occurred aren't Nancy Pelosi's. And that's one thing Donald Trump's been saying, and Donald Trump's been making a baseless claim. The security of the U.S. Capitol was both parties' responsibilities on January 6, 2021. It was partly Speaker Pelosi and equally Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's. So if there was a failure of security and planning, both parties have skin in the game. And that's something that Donald Trump has weaponized. When the final report is out and everybody, in theory, gets a chance to scrutinize it, digest it, and consider all the implications of it, how much do you feel people will put pressure on Capitol Hill to do something, or to the Justice Department to do something? I mean, is it is it likely that they that this public opinion you talk about will actually force Merrick Garland to do something? I don't know. They seem to be immune to most political pressure, but he did appoint a special counsel to look into this and handle this investigation. It's now kind of out of Garland's hands. So the special counsel should be more immune to public pressure or political pressure. Right. But there's going to be some hard questions if no indictment comes down after what this committee showed. I'm saying it's wrong or right. Just saying the committee had a huge audience and a powerful set of hearings. Well, they're referring some of this material to the Bar Association, too, for possible action against the attorneys involved. Uh, I, I think that's going to be a probably an easier road to hoe if they did something that's ethically improper, don't you? Yeah, so we've already seen Bar Associations move on some of these players, including Rudy Giuliani here in Washington, D.C. I expect that to be a component of what we read tomorrow in the final report. What about the Hope Hicks 
surprise. We heard remarkably little about her, and then all of a sudden we see a new video and really more compelling moments that more and more people are interested in stopping President Trump or getting him to stop the January 6th. Is that a pivot point that is as noteworthy as maybe I think it is? That was more of the theater, I think. They just kept folding in little new nuggets every hearing, and they saved one for this hearing, they saved one for that hearing. Yesterday they had a whole pick clip that may have been recently obtained. I think it was part of the theater of this committee, and they've gotten some criticism for being theatrical, but they're also trying to command America's attention during a very busy time of year, and they did. They got some attention yesterday, so I suppose it worked. Well, uh, Joe and I always fail to ask the biggest and best questions. So what is the unasked question that no one's talking about that is in the back of your mind that you know about? Well, timetable. If this is going to be an indictment of Donald Trump, when and where? The where is pretty easy. Likely to be in the District of Columbia. That's where every other January 6th defendant has been charged. Um, When may be determined by the election calendar. He's declared candidate for the White House in 2024. If they're going to go with an indictment, they may not want to get too close to November 2024. It means they might move sooner than we otherwise would have expected. But I'll note this. In the District of Columbia, the Department of Justice has tried dozens of candidates, I'm sorry, defendants um, for January 6th crimes. They have secured convictions in front of juries, at least partial convictions, 100% of the time. Hmm. That is ominous for anybody being charged with the January 6th case here. Well, Scott, with the Republicans set to take over the House, can they kill this thing, bury it, or once the report's issued, is it just out there for someone else to take action on? Anything else you see in the political process here? This committee is dead January 2nd. They are done um, as a panel. The House Republicans have been unequivocal about that. They want this thing gone. Um, The report is being released now so that it exists somewhere in some place so that it's not scrubbed by the the incoming House Republican majority. But they've already rung the bell. can't be unrung. Uh, The written report, though a codification and a kind of a historical tome to what this committee did, isn't the thing that's going to change hearts and minds. I think the panel's hearings did, and there are a lot of political analysts who credit this committee with changing the outcomes of some of the midterm elections. A lot of those close races involving a lot of election deniers went the Democrats' way. You all saw that in Pennsylvania, especially. Yeah, we sure did. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, so, Harrisburg native myself, welcome back to our central part of the state. <laughs> Best part of America. Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Scott McFarland, CBS News congressional correspondent, been on the job for 20 years uh, at uh, CBS, worked to NBC affiliates ahead of time. Uh, and Edward R. Murrow, winner multiple times over, an Emmy Award winner uh, for his reporting.